Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. Your host, as always, Johnny Torres. Happy Monday to you. Hope you're all doing well. Of course, uh, there is no shortage of topics today, and we're going to try to touch on the most important ones. We appreciate you uh, watching. In the meantime, you can go ahead and like, comment, and share this episode. Uh, we are live on Facebook and YouTube. And then don't forget, later on, we'll upload the audio version of our podcast to all the audio podcast platforms at our tech overlords at Google, Apple, Spotify, Audible, Amazon, uh, and iHeartRadio. Uh, so make sure you check out the audio version there. The audio version doing really strong. So thanks to everybody listening uh, right now, where, whenever and wherever you may be doing so. Uh, again, uh, we, we thank you so much for watching. And as I mentioned, we do have a lot of topics. We can go ahead and pull those up. Uh, we are going to start with uh, maybe the, the most important topic that's happening right now in terms of a uh, global crisis as if we didn't have enough, uh, but it would be uh, the situation in Afghanistan as Kabul falls. Uh, the leader in Afghanistan uh, has uh, since left the country in recent days. Um, the Taliban uh, had already uh, taken over much of the country, and uh, this was, of course, the last dominant of fall. We'll dissect uh, why this is happening and, of course, uh, what the future of Afghanistan may look like, uh, and of course, uh, how we got to this point. Our second topic is our Cuomo farewell. Uh, the, the, the once beloved governor of New York uh, has just gone down in flames um, more than anyone could imagine, uh, whether it's the COVID deaths, which continue to be a mounting issue for him, um, and of course, the sexual harassment cases uh, that have been brought against him uh, that could likely uh, put him in jail. So we'll talk a little bit more about Governor Cuomo. And the DHS terrorism alert, you, I, everybody in this room, and uh, those of you watching at home, you could be uh, on the terrorism list very, very soon. We'll talk about why. Um, and uh, again, uh, so uh, lots to talk about. If there's anything you'd like to add, hey to Hector, uh, always uh, on and ready in the uh, um, comment section. Um, uh, please let us know if there's anything else you'd like for us to touch on, and we're certainly going to incorporate your comments along the way. Uh, now let's go to the main table. Joining us, a new face on the show. I always love having some new faces, uh, uh, but certainly not a new face to those of us uh, who are active in the community. Um, first of all, though, from uh, right to left, we'll go with uh, Nebel David Cabrera, as always, uh, and uh, that fresh face uh, sitting there here in between us. Uh, that would be Hardem Tripathi. Did I say it right? I would never yes, try to. Absolutely. Okay, all right. Absolutely. I'd never tried to say your last name. I was like, wait a second. I've just, you know, I just realized this is probably the first time I've actually said it out loud. Yep. So, all right. Well, Glad thank that you, I, sir. So I nailed it. Absolutely. All right, cool. All you can right. call me Trip if, it, if it's a little I easier like it. for you. All right. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, uh, thanks so much for being with us. Um, but, you know, uh, to start the show, just to give everybody a little bit of background, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and, of course, some of your background. Uh, of course, your, uh, you know, what, what uh, has brought you to the table today in terms of wanting to discuss today's politics, uh, just to give people an idea of your perspective for tonight. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you very much. And I want to thank all the viewership here today who are listening in today and just kind of wanting to really understand what's going on in current affairs and what's going on around the globe. You know, a lot of these things that happen overseas, a lot of people just focus sometimes what's, you know, the food on the table. Yeah. But sometimes what's really important is that certain situations overseas do affect us here locally. And uh, global implications have local situations that are affected and vice versa. So first of all, I just want to say thank you very much for both of you all for having me here. 
and uh, really glad to be here today. Uh, a little bit about myself, I'm an attorney. Uh, I'm from Lakeland, Florida, 863 area, <laughs> you know, and uh, just really glad to be here because, you know, honestly, I've, I've traveled a lot. I've traveled all across the U.S. Uh, I hope I get to bring a little bit of uh, flavor to this conversation today sure. because, uh, you know, every, with everything going on right now, with respect to the Taliban, with respect to the Biden administration, with respect to global affairs or the safety and security of our country here in the United States, and also just what goes on around the world, uh, you know, you probably wonder, well, why am I here today, right? I'm a new fresh face, but I'm glad I'm here because here's the thing. There's a lot of hardworking Americans and allies of Americans that day to day they actually provide a lot of value uh, to our country and to the great American people. So my background is I am an attorney. Uh, I practice U.S. immigration nationality law. Uh, my name is Hardin Tripathi. I go by Trip from Trip Law, and uh, I know you both very well. So I just really appreciate that. You know, we've worked on a lot of things together. So I'm just glad that. Yeah, we're it's here about together. time we had you on. Yeah, I know. I'm glad. I, I'm glad I could be here. So, but no, what's really cool is uh, you know I had a wonderful opportunity to be in D.C. You know, everyone says that's a swamp. It's you know that's a place you don't want to be. Is. It still is. Yeah, we all get right. it. But you know what? You learn a lot from the swamp because the the longer you're there, the more you kind of understand how it does affect the world, how it affects the United States. But also the longer you're there, you tend to get away from where you're actually from. Right. Um, I was actually born in India. I am an immigrant myself. And, wow. uh, you know, I understand a lot of things that happen. Perspectives, perspective is everything. Mm -hmm. And when you realize what's going on with these people overseas, you kind of tend to realize that this is going to be in our history books. 20 years from now, children mm -hmm. will be reading about this moment that we are talking about here today. And uh, one big thing I would just like to say is that I work for the U.S. State Department. Right. I had the opportunity to be at Washington, D.C. and work for the Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs. I was within the office of Afghanistan and Pakistan. And when you really are in those offices, you really see the nitty-gritty. You see what goes on behind the scenes. If you guys have ever watched Wizard of Oz, right. you'll probably see you know, mm -hmm. the person behind the curtain. You get to see how our government operates. You get, you get to see how room full of people maybe 8 to 12 people literally dictate U.S. foreign policy. Wow. So just glad I'm here. Maybe I can yeah. shed some light on that to our viewership. Uh, well, absolutely. But, but it's I mean, a very amazing time to you know, live, but also right. just to understand. So thank you for having me. Well, and again, they, you know, they talk about each generation kind of having these pivotal moments, right? And so, like, for our parents, it was probably Vietnam, you know, for um, for us, you know, it was, you know, for some of us, it was 9-11, you know, um, and uh, and so maybe this may be that pivotal moment for, for the next generation, um, you know, because it's, you know, it's been now, you know, it's, uh, well, there's been a lot of comparisons, right, so mostly because of the imagery to uh, Vietnam, um, but, you know, we look at, you know, We've been dealing with a lot, the coronavirus and, you know, and, and other natural disasters. But really, in terms of foreign policy, I mean, it's been mostly fairly quiet, you know. Again, having to go back 20 years, you know, to our last truly, like, full-blown conflict. Um, uh, you know, though you could make the argument we've always been in conflict in Afghanistan, right? That's certainly what we're learning, and we're learning that— you know, and part of the reason we do this program is, and, and, and this touches on so many of the issues that we discuss, is that we're learning that you can't trust the government. You can't take them at their word. Um, and even within the government, they don't even trust themselves. You know, when you heard time after time over the past 20 years that we were making progress, that things were getting better, that, you know, that they were almost ready, you know, to, to be able to take their country back. Um, and, and honestly, 
even going back about four or five years when I was working for Senator Rubio, I talked to a government contractor who provides maintenance and repair work for helicopters in Afghanistan. And they were saying, look, these people are not ready. They're nowhere near ready. Like, you're talking about a country whose literacy rating you might know better than I, I think is somewhere north of 70 to 80 percent. Um, and, and so there are a lot of factors to why this happened. Um, and, and truly, and I'm not defending him, but it would be unfair to solely pin this on Joe Biden. Um, I think we can criticize the way it was handled um, and maybe you know, speculate that it could have been handled better. But um, given your background, I mean, what do you see? Let's first touch on some of the immediate repercussions that we're going to see coming out of this. So uh, that's a really great point that you just made. You know, we can't just pin this on the current president. You know, I, I'm someone who likes to give someone a, a chance, at, you know, a bite at the apple. Uh, one big thing, and Annabelle, I think you can maybe attest to this too, but one big thing is this, is this has been something that's been going on for past presidencies, many, many different presidencies. But this is not just about the United States. It's about the whole global world and how it all affects. I mean, if you really understand your history, history does repeat itself. And you really brought up a great point. You brought up you know, a lot of different historical components to your argument and to your discussion. One thing was the Viet Cong. The Viet Cong is what we see now in our day and age as the Taliban. And ultimately, when you see those, the imagery, the pictures, you see everything that goes on, ultimately you got to realize the history. Mm -hmm. How did we get here? So I loved your question about now what do you see forward, but to our viewership, do they understand the history of why we are here? Because once you realize why we are here, we hopefully learn from our history. We hopefully, you know, history does repeat itself. When I was a little tot, still, you know, short guy, little tot still, but you know, at the end of the day, I just say, you know, you always learn that at the end of the day, history does repeat itself. From a legal perspective, from a policy perspective, from a national security perspective, you really put all of it together, you shake it up, and you, you have this wonderful opportunity to really understand how life works and how foreign policy works. And one big thing is you have to look at the history lessons that we learned from what happened in the Viet Cong type era during the Cold War. If you really look at kind of the Cold War and you look at 1979 and you look at the Mujahideen, the Mujahideen was a group of rebels. There, it was like guerrillas. These were people who were tired of people invading their country. I think every group, no matter what country you're a part of, you have every sovereign right to ultimately be in your country and have the freedom and the values that you desire based on your country. Right. But there's a lot of cultural context. There's also things involving Islam. There's a lot of things involving a lot of people who come from different countries, like the Soviet Union back in 1979 and the Mujahideen. you got to look at what the Bush administration did. You also have to look at kind of what happened with respect to people who are always invading. you got to look at the Ottomans and all these different... I mean, there's so much history prior to 1979 we can go into. Sure. But under this session, I'm going to keep it very short and sweet. Because here's the thing. How do you explain to someone what's the global crisis and how will this affect the regional and geopolitical issues that we have on a day-to-day? -day? And one thing we learn at the State Department is that at the end of the day, it's like one domino falls, it affects so many other dominoes. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sure we've all seen where one domino falls and you see this whole artwork, but this is just a travesty what's going on right now. Right. I'm an immigrant. I moved here from India. You all probably understand what it's like in other countries because at the end of the day, we have it very sweet here. I have clients literally every day that they're just happy to have drawers. I had a call today and I had a gentleman from Mexico 
who is just so happy he has drawers and a pillow to sleep on when he used to not have that. Yeah, I was having this you know? conversation this week, which is that we here in the United States, most people, unless you've traveled outside of the United States, which again, not the majority of the country, has never truly witnessed poverty, like true poverty. Sheer poverty. Um, yeah, where you see children that are on the street, seeing famine, you've seen people begging for food and money and, you know, in the way that it is is quite literally their last hope of survival. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where we're blessed, as they say, to, to have some of the uh, most overweight homeless people in the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, there are resources here that you don't find in other countries, you know, and most of the countries, whether it's India or whether it's Colombia. You're going to see children um, either selling themselves or selling things on, on the street. Um, they're high on, on paint or whatever kind of uh, things they can get their hands on. So we're very, we're, we're very spoiled in that sense. You know, very, again, we, you know, uh, I like the saying that, you know, we are the 1%, mm -hmm. you know, we're the global 1%, you know, because we don't see that level of poverty. We don't witness it on a daily basis as, as it, as is the case through, I would say the majority of the world, really. So now that Americans are seeing what is happening on the ground, they're very shocked it's, and appalled, really, of the aftermath that's occurring at the moment in on the ground in Afghanistan and what's happening in Kabul. I, I, I talked. We talked about this a little bit last week. That I was. I'm not surprised that the capital fell as quickly as it did. I'm not surprised that the provincial capitals and capital cities fell as quickly as they did. Um, and then to think about what the president talked about just a few months ago, saying that it could take up to 90 days for the capital to fall when it fell in seven or eight days. I think what a lot of Americans are thinking about, like how did we get to this point? I don't think anyone's surprised that we are withdrawing our troops out. I think a lot of Americans are wanting to know like what happened to, to where they're seeing thousands of people, almost like a scene from the World War Z, where people are trying to get onto planes that are taking off, and then the, the video of people falling off of those planes when they're in the middle of the air because they weren't able to hold on anymore. So those are very tragic pictures that Americans are, look, are seeing, and they're very upset and very, they want to know who lied to them, because that's what we're hearing now, that's what we're seeing on, on, on social media, is who lied to the American people to make them think that okay, we, there was an army, there was some kind of government, and all of that melted away in seven days. To make them nope. think that. Sorry. So, absolutely. So, you know, he brought a great point up. You know, you, when you look at what happened, history repeats itself. We did, this happened in the past administration with the Kurds, right? right? And now we're looking at kind of what's going on with respect to the Kurds. Now we're looking at what's going on to the Afghans. And, you know, you really look at it. You know, when I was at the State Department, we, we really focused on gender equality. We looked at all these different, you know, these terms of art that people like to spit out. But we really did it. We were there. You would get cables. You would get emails. You would get with clearances. You would actually see what's going on. Unfortunately, what's ha what has happened, why are we here? It's, it's because of a lack of leadership, I think. And I yeah. really do think that the current administration is, they have the right, I think they have the really the right mentality in mind in terms that they want to help these people. But when you're a career politician, such as Joe Biden, or if you're someone who has done this forever and ever, and you're sitting on the iron throne over there in D.C., you tend to lose a little bit of uh, that humanity. You don't really—it's just another day and at work. Well, you know? and, and, and would you agree that, you know, part of the failure in Afghanistan was really the fact that— we didn't really have much business being there in the first place. Um, you know, we, we should have gone in, gotten bin Laden, and gotten out. Um, that, that really anything beyond that, I mean, because 
what we essentially did is we didn't really go in with the full force that we needed to do to truly take out the Taliban. Um, and, and, and Joe has, Joe Wicker, right here, yeah, who said it many times on this show, we don't have, I think, the appetite anymore. We don't have the, uh, the um, we're maybe too sensitive nowadays um, to the, 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 the fallout of war, you know, to truly do what needs to be done to to eradicate an evil like the Taliban, much like we did with the Nazis in World War II. I think where you truly have to go in and with everything you have just eradicate the enemy. Um, and yeah, there's going to be innocent casualties. There's going to be major uh, catastrophic damage to infrastructure. You know, but I think this kind of softer approach where oh, you got to be careful with schools and in hospitals and you know and in certain locations and certain people, I think that's when, again, you're leaving yourself open to a prolonged effort like Afghanistan. But you're, but you're making the comparison of the, of the Taliban to the, to the a, a German government, and it's not the case. You're having an Islam, and again, the caliphate's going to come back. I think they're, they said Friday is when they're going to announce that they're going to become an emirate. And so you already have that situation where I would not compare the Taliban, even in 2001, to a, a, a European regime of some kind. There wasn't a standing army. No, I'm just saying that when we had the opportunity to truly eradicate them, we didn't do what was necessary to do that. We didn't do what was necessary to, in Vietnam. We didn't do what was necessary in, in North Korea. I mean, I don't think Americans have had the stomach for that kind of what's necessary war in a very long time. Also, the Either that or it's, or it's simply a problem of, 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 hey, we can certainly take down governments, but we have a problem taking down these kind of terrorist militia groups like the like the Viet Cong, you know, which again, not a government organization, the Taliban, right? Al Qaeda, you know, those kind of groups, Hamas, right? Um, where again, there there's not a lot of structure there, um, you know, that that you can really go after, um, you know, and and so I think that maybe that's maybe a weakness, you know, militarily. Um, I wouldn't say it's a weakness. I, I I would say that we're in the business of nation building. And unfortunately, that's not the way that I think most Americans, I think, uh, resonate with. Because nation building is always for those globalist elites. Those are for people who want to have you know, power within those respective regions. Yeah. However, I believe that what's actually most important is not nation building, but it's to those humanitarian values, those sustainable development goals, the United Nations, NATO. We've seen everything, all these different organizations. But it's not about nation building. It's more about, it's not about nation building. It's more about sustainable development goals. It's about actually how do we make sure that we promulgate American values and democracy. We are a republic, but we do tend to think that with what's going to happen now to all these poor women out there who are not going to get educated. Now, there are some Taliban regions that do allow young girls to get an education, but that's to not all. To a point, yeah. To a point. But right. still, it's so... Uh, you know, it's so limited. But there was, there was even still. I mean, again, uh, you know, there was some of those atrocities were still taking place, even while you know the American military was spread throughout. Yeah, and, but you didn't have gays being thrown off of buildings in the middle of Kabul. Well, no, but again, you still had you know women uh, and young, uh, young women and girls who were being sexually assaulted. You know, and uh, and they were and and oftentimes, you know, at least by some reports, you know, by some of the people we were working with. Uh, to try to stave off, you know, the Taliban's movement, you know, and, and so I want to kind of turn the conversation over, you know, really to the fact that so President Trump had originally uh, 
put in place the uh, peace agreement between the Taliban and the United States, which really was kind of what started the timer on this de-escalation and, you know, and, and, and our exit, right? So the Trump administration was originally, you know, again, had they had already started the process, um, you know, and, and Trump being Trump, you know, was critical, I guess, as to kind of how this was all handled. Um, I think if I had been him, I would have said, hey, you know, that's a great idea. Glad I thought of it, you know, um, <laughs> you know, but obviously, given the way that it's kind of backfired, not really backfired. I think that the Biden administration is especially Biden himself has been in government long enough to know that this was going to be ugly no matter what. Yeah, but you know, ugly but, at a point what no one I don't think it's, I don't think there's any way that he, no you one could have yeah. exited the country. No one's. But and, no, and, and, and there is a way. Are you telling me that you were moved the last 2,500 military agents in a country, but yet still had 10,000 U.S. citizens in the country, not thinking that this was going to become a problem, and 80,000 Afghans that helped us during the occupation. That wasn't—no one—you've had 15 months to get your shit together, yeah. and it never occurred to anyone. No one is saying that it's a bad idea to get out of Afghanistan. Yeah. From the left and to the right, everyone has the same position that we needed to get out of Afghanistan. Right. We're, we're, it's the 20-year anniversary. We need to get out. But no one is denying that point. But everyone is saying that it's a, a clear sign of the incompetence that this administration has had to show that no one had thought ahead of time that it was inappropriate to remove the military, but not inappropriate to get rid of the to remove the citizens at the same time. You couldn't do a slow withdrawal of the 10,000 U.S. Americans on on the ground. And again, what happens with uh, was it? Your what? Again, it's, it literally looks like a World War Z episode at the Kabul airport. We've yeah. lost both of our military bases there. There are Humvees and drones, and I mean, if anything, Biden is more willing to give guns to Afghanistans than to the U.S. citizens. And so, what else are we supposed to do at this moment? We see that the complete incompetence. He was on. He was in Davis. Was it Camp David? Well, the last six days doing well, nothing. Well, that to me, I think, was the biggest sign more than anything that they knew that this was going to go bad. Oh yeah. Because not only did Biden, you know, uh, pretty much go MIA. I mean, sure. We knew he was going to be up in Connecticut, and then from there he was going to go to Camp David. But he was essentially MIA. He wasn't making himself available to the press or anything. Well, he's been then, he's been MIA since he, <laughs> he got into you. Hey, um, hey, we know when his naps, and we know when his cookies. Oh, we're not wrapping up. This but the big, but the biggest tell, <laughs> but the biggest tell was also Jen Psaki, you know. Oh. Which to me, anytime a spokesperson. All of a sudden, goes on vacation for a while. That to me, like that uh, to me, that's a sign that traditionally means like your time is up. Like they, she may be on her way out. It's about. Um, I think no, I, and I truly believe that. I don't think Jen Psaki is going to be around in the White House much longer. Um, you know, especially at this juncture, mm -hmm. which so, with such a global event happening, whether it's the her the the earthquake in Haiti or you know what's happening in Afghanistan, the fact that. There's virtually no one in the White House right no. now. I mean, you know, as far as, you know, people that should be answering questions and, and should be, you know, uh, uh, facing the press. Yeah, and they're not going to give Kamala that kind of responsibility. Well, here, here's what I Well, that's saying. a whole other topic. Here's what I want to yeah. say. You brought a good point, right? Like, when, when things get really tough, you got to be there. You're the face of the nation. You're the face of the nation. At the end of the day, when you're the face of the nation, you have to show up especially during right. times of distress. Mm -hmm. And one big thing I saw was at Bagram Air Force Base, right over there in Bagram. 
The problem that we had was now we are literally giving military technology. You are seeing our taxpayer dollars mm -hmm. ultimately funding Taliban members now, where to a point where if you look at kind of what ISIL, like we're not, we're not even talking about Boko Haram, we're not talking about ISIS, ISIL, they're literally fundamentally changing the constitution and the rights that free people have in Afghanistan. And they're completely doing it with our taxpayer dollars. But it is our fault to an extent. I will play devil's advocate it's here. It's definitely our fault. I think that when 9-11 happened, there was a certain sentiment. I was, I was very young at that point. I was in sixth grade. You know, I was 11 years old at that time. I remember in 2001, 11 years old, 31 now. But I remember that moment when the, the towers crumbled. And there was a national sentiment. I mean, you got to realize it's an act of war. Oh, people signed up the following day. Exactly. But here's right. the thing. Yes, we went through a 20-year war, but then you got to look at all the procurement that went on behind the scenes, the weapons industry, mm -hmm. all the m contractors who made all the money. Mm -hmm. We were there. I mean, I was there in D.C. when there were rooms full of people, and there was probably about 8 to 12 people dictating Afghanistan policy, people that are war 31 that, to, like, maybe 45. And these are the people actually shaping policy that affects our soldiers, right? Yeah. Our Marines, mm -hmm. right? And our airmen. And they always have this mantra, right, that it's like the older people, you know, want to call the war, but the young people have to suffer. There are people who have literally fought, and they have served their country. For what? Now we are waiting, what, like after 20 years, we just suddenly leave? And yes, look, President Trump said the same thing, to play devil's advocate, because I have a lot of friends who are Democrats as well, and they always say the same thing, and me being conservative-minded, you know, I get it. But there's a, there's a system, there's mm -hmm. a protocol. Yes, we, don't, we, don't, we should not be in the business of nation-building. Right. We should not be right. in the business of, you know, being involved in a country's civil war. We should focus on the efforts here at home. However, there are people, though, that yeah. we should protect. And right. it has geopolitical issues. We should be there, but we shouldn't just leave abruptly. There should be a strategic plan. We should know that that military technology is not being right. left in the hands of a terrorist. Well, and that's fleet. and that's where the and previous so that's administrations that's where the previous administration guilt uh, or guilt responsibility ends and Joe Biden starts, which is really what's transpired um, over the past few months, right? Because they had the timeline, um, they knew that they were supposed to get ready to get out of there. Now, some people are saying that the generals may have done this intentionally to try to get an extension of the deadline. But what people are forgetting is is that the peace agreement would have expired, and now you're uh, you're once again putting American lives at stake. But that, I, but I push I push back on that because the the ceasefire agreement had already been breached in the back in June when the Taliban had already started moving into the provincial capitals yeah. surrounding the southern and northern borders. So it's not like they were they were doing what they were supposed to do. That was already encroaching. No, but they knew the that. that we were going to adhere to it at the very least, but that's a, but, and we weren't going to engage And this them. is my issue. Why on earth are you deciding to evacuate during the height of fighting season? Why don't you do it in the winter when no one does anything in the winter of Afghanistan because it's too cold and there's no, one does it, and there's no fighting in the winter? This wasn't thought through at all. Even yeah. w And again, this isn't the original timeline. It was pushed back when the Biden administration came into play. And this was the only thing of the Trump administration that Biden took over. Because like, he's like, oh, this is what was given to me from a prior president. Not the Paris Accord, not the Iranian deal, not uh, getting, uh, getting uh, killing Keystone. Yeah. He, didn't, he could have chosen to either 
do something with this, or and he extended it. He hasn't wanted to. Well, as they say, that the internet never forgets. Oh, never there's, forgets. And there's a tweet out there where he basically says that he was going to take personal responsibility for anything that happened under his administration. That he wasn't going to blame previous administrations for any of his failures. But that's yeah. what's happening. First thing he does right is yeah. go yeah. ahead and, and look blame at what Trump Secretary Blinken's doing. Right? Oh Lord. So let's talk about Secretary Blinken oh, for a Lord. little bit. And Secretary Blinken, if he's listening and watching this, you know, I, I wish he really heard this. Because, Share and comment because below. Because here's the here's the thing, Secretary Blinken. You know, he comes from a he's a career you know diplomat. I mean, this this gentleman has always been, uh, you know, and he he has a lot of knowledge. But here's what you got to look at. Under Mike Pompeo, who was a CIA director, he was Secretary of State. Right. There was good leadership. They actually did have plans. And I have Democrats who argue with me all the time. I have friends of mine, colleagues, professionals who are argue. I mean, these are your career diplomats. However, one thing I would always like to say is this. It's not about the fact that we all are one. We're Americans. Like, I don't want this to all be like Republicans versus Democrats or what. Look, we're all one America. Like, we're Americans. We want to see the best for our values in those countries because here's the thing. How those people live and what values we espouse onto them over there affects our livelihoods over here in these great United States of America. And my big issue is this. Secretary Blinken. He literally had the right idea. He just ended up executing it incorrectly because it's a puppet government right now. Complete, it is a puppet shadow puppet. government. And I think Kamala Harris, which, you know, she literally is a better senator than she is a vice president. I will give her that. She's a great Congress member. However, she is not a really great vice president. Yeah. And here's why. If you looked at her approval what? ratings and whatnot. What are you and, talking about? And hear, hear me out. I'm being fair here. Oh, I'm being facetious. Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> but hear me out. Hear me out. This is what's crazy about it. How do you give the leader of the free world, who basically rarely comes out, it's a shadow government. If you really think about it, the handlers are the ones who are handling it. If you live in D.C. long enough, you know who really has the power. Yes. It's the people with the money. The people with the money control the politicians because right. they want to re—they want to get reelected, and then at the end of the day, the American people are the ones who get compromised. And I just think that's so horrible because Every at the end of the day, time. we are tax-paying Americans, and we do care about these Afghans because here's the reason: those Afghans, when you are involved in intelligence work, mm -hmm. national security work, you understand that this is a global team effort. America did not become this country that it did become without the aid of other people. And those Afghans out there that we left, just like we did the Kurds under the Trump administration, and I will say it, or just like under the Obama administration, that we left all the Uyghur population over there in China, I mean, this goes global. Yeah. I mean, I think national security and policy is difficult, yes, but we need to have execution. We need to have plans in place. And unfortunately, this administration has had so many blunders in a quarter of their presidents. We still have three more years, folks. We're only eight months in. Yeah, three more years of this. Right. And right. that's why I'm so glad that the American people are waking up and that they are realizing that at the end of the day, we cannot get away with this. Mm -hmm. We are global leaders. But I feel like because we don't have a backbone in this administration that we are losing. I think our allies like the United Kingdom, Australia, France, all these people, Canada, they're also moving out. Mm -hmm. Because of what America did, Boris Johnson recently just was upset. And that affects their parliament. That affects our way of life. Sure. And I am just so disappointed that well, our Because leadership... they're much closer to the problem. Correct. Well, and the... now, you know what's going to end up happening? The Chinese, our biggest global threat is the Chinese. I will say it over and over again. China is literally buying up real estate and land in Africa, in the in the islands, in, in literally next to Miami, like literally all those, Hispaniola and all, they're buying up property. Right. China, the CCP, is the most dangerous organization 
to the United States national security, in my yeah. personal opinion. And I really think what we did without having a strategy plan, by giving weapons, by giving military equipment to the Taliban without any action, any sort of thought, you would think that career politicians, career diplomats would have the, the wherewithal to ultimately be better. Because yeah. ultimately, at the end of the day, it's our taxpayer dollars, it's our lives at stake. And I think we just crumbled as a nation because now we are going to have another 9-11. Mark my words, hear this, because when the Taliban, who literally let out Al-Qaeda, mm -hmm. 5,000 people they let out in, in all these, in Bagram Air Force Base, where we had our, prison. our prisoners, they literally let out five to 7,000 people. Do you think America's safer because of that? Right. Hell no. And I will stick by that because here's why. We're going to have another one of these because we have poor leadership in the White House and the American people did vote for this man. So because he's a, under the guise of a career diplomat who was supposed to be a stable man, a, a career senator, yeah. one a of career the, president. One of the Taliban president. leaders that were sitting in the presidential palace two days ago was in Guantanamo Bay because he was held under captivity and you see him now in front of the, of the sure. palace. It's absolutely insane how we've allowed this right. to happen. Which Democrats have always advocated, right, for the closure of Guantanamo, but here we see a perfect uh, reason why, you know, those guys need to stay incarcerated. Right. You know, it's because they're just going to go right back to these organizations. And in fact, now they probably know a lot more about the American process, you know, when you become a prisoner of war uh, than they did going in there. So, but final I, question to, to kind of wrap up the quick, topic. I wasn't I did not, I expected the collapse as quickly as it did. When you start to hear that the soldiers and police officers that were protecting the Capitol hadn't got paid in eight months, in yeah. six months, how would you expect an army to well, fight because if the they're not getting paid? Well, again, the, oh, the money, doesn't, yeah, the the money, money doesn't go down right. to them. The money goes down to the politicians that we're propping up. Yeah. And all of a sudden, when things hit the fan, they're the, the first warlords. ones on jets. The warlords, the warlords here's the one, oh, they left the country as Let soon as Let me talk about the warlords real quick. So when I was at the State Department, there's a thing called the Fatah region. It's called the yeah. Federally Administered Tribal Areas, the Fatah. Isn't it the northern part of yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, the northern. And literally, if you look at Al-Qaeda, you look at the Taliban, they actually controlled the south from the late 70s all the way through the 80s and 90s when 9-11 happened in 2001 all the way forward. And now you see a president like Ghani flee to Uzbekistan mm -hmm. and leave his people there. I mean, you just have a complete government just completely in shambles. Black hole. No, it Black dissolves. hole. And you need to have a leadership, especially if we take responsibility for that region. I know we're not in the, the business of nation building, but we are. That's what we've been doing. If you're there for right. 20 years, you're building a nation. Yes. That's And so what's you know happening. what you need to do? You can't just leave. It's like basically if you have a family and you raise a child, you don't yeah. just leave them and run away to another state. Yeah. You take care of your fam. You take care of your people. You take care of these Afghan translators. You take care of these Afghan intelligence agencies that, you know, these people who have been sure. in the intelligence. Yeah. You've got to work. You can't just you, you, well, you, know, you don't so. think Taiwan is looking at what our response? You don't right. think Hong Kong yeah. is seeing? You don't think South uh, South Korea? And China's going to win out of this. China no, this will is win. no, no, no. China's going to get sucked into another example of 20 years in Afghanistan. Yeah. Well, they'll form an alliance. Happened. They'll probably form an alliance. Well, you already Taliban. see the Russians are already to this day from this moment we're having this conversation. The Russians have already brokered peace deals with the Taliban right now and fact check that because here's the thing the Russians and the Chinese are our two biggest adversaries and right now because of what President Biden has done I think Americans are going to be weaker as a result sure. and it's going to affect oil it's going to affect GDP it's going to affect net well that was going to be I don't know about that that was going to be we'll talk about it well that was going to be my question to kind of close the topic is how how long before this becomes an, uh, a, a true issue 
aware. It already is. You know. No, finish the question. I, I, I mean, I mean, in terms of another terrorist attack, you know, uh. um, you know, you know, because obviously they're they, you know, according to some of the stuff I've read and and listened to, I mean, again, they the Taliban very smartly negotiated, you know, using that term very lightly, you know, around the entire country, basically for this whole thing to to kind of turn their in their favor as quickly as possible um you know for the uh, the army to give up you know for everybody to kind of to flee the country the people that that were it was either play ball or if you're going to get in our way then then you we're going to take your life right these are narco terrorists they don't play by the rules so right exactly so so how many years do you think it'll be before this becomes a a terrorist no uh, i don't know about that i think the conversation needs to be had will the taliban allow for those organizations to re position themselves back into that country. Now, do I think it's going to be a year or two for them? Well, to they themselves. I, I mean, so. how long before they themselves decide to... Well, no, the Taliban weren't the ones that attacked us. The Taliban that facilitated no, the, the terrorists out of those camps to attack us. Right. So that's what occurred in that side. I, I don't, and I don't want to go into that that rabbit hole that we're going to get into because we're already getting the Rubu-Bamba's conversation. Pakistan, yeah. Pakistan, their ISI, their intelligence organization, comparable to our CIA, they were the same ones who actually funded them. We funded the Mujahideen oh, yeah, to against fight Russia. the Soviets, and then once that happened and Soviets left, then we ended up putting up this proxy empire. Now we get, we taught Bin Laden how to fly planes in Florida. For God's sake, I think the American government needs to do a better job of holding themselves accountable, not at the expense of the American people. We were told year upon year upon year from military generals that everything is fine. We're going to win in six months. We're going to win in a year. Kept on lying to us. There yeah. needs to be investigations on who, which general, and which agencies were lying to us. Because well, it if, goes back to Joe every Biden, problem we're having right now. Joe Biden was under the impression it would take 90 days for Kabul to fall when it yeah. fell in seven. Like right. that is a that is a, a huge. Error. Well, and he didn't even say that it was a likelihood. It was said yeah. it was a possibility, you know. But he still maintained that somehow that that the the government and the army was going to you know stay in place. So who's um, lying to the president? You know, so, again, well, they all are. Grandpa you know, only and, knows so much as and, CNN tells them. Well, and again, so the you know our favorite podcast, you know, so Breaking Points was talking about how again this has been decades mm-hmm. of of colonels and, and 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 top brass leadership of of our military lying to the executive branch. Yeah. Lying to the intelligence agencies about what's actually happening on the ground, um, and that in some cases, yeah, it's it's the military complex, you know, wanting to perpetuate this um, because so many people had, uh, were making money off. Yeah, what's happening now is Biden's fault, is the administration's fault. When you have ten thousand American citizens. 80,000 translators, people that work with the U.S. over the years that need to get taken out. And a week prior, before the collapse, you remove the military. So instead of you having 2,500 military there, now you have 6,000 military personnel there because you were unable to organize this. That's now. Everyone's upset because of that now. But you've had two Republican administrations, two Democrat administrations, and a, a vice president and now president that has been in office that knew all of this was happening. So again, both sides is wrong in this situation. When CNN is attacking the president, this current president, and like re, like laughing down administrators from the White House, you know you have a problem when CNN is against you. Like I don't know how else you're going to come come from that. I want to end it. But predictably, though, because again, they, I mean, they have to save face in all of this too, and there's oh, really yeah. no there's no way to defend 
the situation CN, that's happening. CNN, lo it looks phenomenal what CNN looks like. But they've also been ignoring the whole problem in Afghanistan now, again, for the oh, better yeah. part of the, the past 20 years. John, I would just like to end it one yeah. note, because I know, you know, there's other topics as yeah. well. But one big thing I want to say is, I know, I don't want to politicize the situation. What I want to do is I want to talk about the Afghans in those regions. Mm -hmm. People that I worked with when I was in the State Department. People that are on the floor, boots on the ground, mm -hmm. our people, our military, our civilians, our uh, intelligence officers, people there that worked with the actual cream of the crop brass of the Afghan government. At the end of the day, when you have, it's, if you look at Afghanistan, the reason why we can never win is because of the geographic nature of Afghanistan. Correct. There's mountains, there's tribal regions, there's so much land. This is a Mesopotamian region that historically has never been conquered, really. Right. And so one thing I would say is, yes, we can all sit here and have our perspectives on it. But when you actually look at the actual people, the people is what it's important about, the Afghan people, these children. Yeah. We could sit here, all of us are going to go home tonight and get in our on our pillows, and we're going to go comfortably sleep under AC and heat and all that. Well, not these people. Heat. We see this in Syria. We see it in... You know, in China, we see it all over. But where do you think they go? Where do they try to go? The ones who are really and they're they're refugees. There's been dissettlement. Sure, but where? Like, what what countries do you think are primarily going to be affected by this? Pakistan will definitely get affected. I think you're going to see a lot of people moving over to Pakistan, which is going to cause more. It's going to cause more cultural rifts. Yeah. It's going to cause more influx of mass migration. It's going to cause an an instability. Governments are not going to be able to handle that. They're not America. They can't maybe. We even have struggles with border security here. Yeah. How do you think Pakistan's going to handle it? How do you think that Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, how do you think all those areas around those areas, how, how are they going to handle it? You're going to see people moving towards Egypt. You're going to see mass migration into Europe now. Sure. People are going to flee well, by yeah. any means necessary. You have, here, here, we just want a good way of life. Over there, they're just trying to survive. We have an entire, we've allowed an entire generation to grow up in Afghanistan thinking that we were going to be there for the long haul. And the fact that we well, pulled, but I we mean, pulled out. Well, but I mean, years is a long haul. Well, you had, you had. But, and there was no, there was, you, there was no signs of. You literally had female uh, aristocrats and academics opening up a Kabul university, a, a gender study. Like these people thought we were going to be, have some kind of stability for a while. If you literally had people signing up for classes, yeah. females were signing up for classes. Yeah, but again, the reality month. was that we weren't making any progress. Yeah, but the reality also was that, that it wasn't going to fall. Like they actually thought it wasn't going to fall. And when you pull the Americans out from the air support, it all fell apart because there was yeah. no leadership there and the corruption was crazy. Again, this isn't a Japan. It was all smoke and mirrors for the Americans. Oh, completely. It was, it was all because Americans don't care. Right. Again, we are going to go home. We are going to sleep in our pillows and we're going to in the yeah. in the air conditioning, not the heat. I don't know yeah. where, where, where you're coming from, but Americans it gets don't. Cold I know. Sometimes too. But <laughs> Americans don't care. We do not care what happens well, around the rest so of the world. Because we're so disconnected from it. Well, disconnect. We don't even we don't even trade around yeah. the world. I mean, I think only twenty percent or twenty or thirty percent of our GDP is generated from outside sources. Well, the majority again, of our money is made that here. Doesn't mean anything. Exactly. You know, but to me, the most uh, and I'll kind of close the topic on this, which to me the most horrifying images I've seen so far has actually been uh, the C-10, you know, heading down the runway, being chased by what looked like um, a you know, hundred or two hundred people. And, and as it's taking off, 
you see people falling off of the plane. Thousands of you feet. You know, people, okay. yeah, people that had actually somehow managed to hold on to this plane. I don't know what they were thinking. And, and the pilots knew what they were doing, but they yeah. had to get out. They had to get out. Yeah, there's no, part. It, it reminds me of when 9-11 happened. You saw people you saw jumping people jump off in. the balcony. Well, like, that is horrible. If that plane had stopped, forget it. It's never taking off. No. Yeah. You know, and, and they know that. You know, they're trained for those kind of situations. Of course. Um, but to, to witness it, because, again, we are so desensitized by the media, you know, that really the social media is actually pulling back the curtain on a lot of the filters that the media has put in place. And that's another reason why we don't perceive these conflicts the way that other parts of the world do. Uh, because even the BBC, for that matter, is far more true to its its reporting They'll show when it the comes whole thing. to show the whole you know thing. situations like this and we're incredibly um coddled right. when it comes to our media coverage especially about foreign conflicts like this so. and this is why i think we need people who are going to be in leadership positions that are going to actually change the narrative and yeah. you know people like scott franklin congressman franklin he's done a great job former yeah. former naval aviator you get people like ron DeSantis. i mean these are people who are jag officers that had foreign policy experience i think the american people really need to wake up and really understand that you need leadership that's going to have a spine yeah right and not have no backbone. the, the no. world wants strong leadership the world doesn't want grandpa taking a nap sure. from 3 to 8 p.m it, yeah. just, it doesn't work like that when you have a bigger regimen about your cookies and the milk it's going to be a problem every single time and the world will take advantage all right uh, we went incredibly long on that issue, but of course it, it certainly warranted it um, uh, because uh, we're certainly not done with it either. I mean, this is something that's going to continue to evolve and transpire over the coming weeks. Uh, I believe we might have Joe Wicker back uh, next week, uh, who is uh, a veteran uh, uh, and, and I believe was in Afghanistan during one of his deployments. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about his perspective uh, next week when he joins us back here on the show. Um, but uh, one of appreciate uh, and thank Robin, Hector, Laura, everybody who's watching today and uh, engaging in the comment section. Uh, we really appreciate it. I mean, again, great points being made here. Um, it, it's it's just unbelievable what's happening over in Afghanistan. And again, I mean, it's it's truly sad. I mean, we're, we're being affected directly uh, by this, you know, by even some of our friends, you know, who have family members and uh, and extended friends, you know, who are there in various roles and, uh, and, and are now trying to find ways to make it back to the United States. So we'll keep you updated on that issue as it continues to evolve. Yeah, we're definitely going to see the humanitarian fallout to this. And I think a lot of Americans are going to be put in positions where they're going to get a phone call from someone that helped them when they were there. Right. When their sons or daughters were there. And yeah. they're going to want to figure out ways to get out. We, we know friends now that have friends that were interpreters or those that were helping them on the ground that they're trying to figure out ways to get in contact with them because they know they're at the Air Force Base or they're at the Air... Uh, the... Um, Air station, whatever, there, mm -hmm. and they're trying to get them out. So again, yeah. this is this is a huge humanitarian crisis that should never have happened. This should never have happened this way. My thing is just the lack of responsibility of handling the withdrawal of, of service members yeah. and the, just the people that helped us. Those big just leadership at the end of the, day, the fact at the end of the day is we lost trust with our allies. Yeah. We lost trust with those hardworking people who served our country and passed away and died because they were protecting our nation and they were giving values overseas that we were supposed to espouse, and all of that for nil. Well, and again, we've lost a generation of credibility 
uh, when it comes to our military intervention. Because now, think about it, who's going to want to go into China to do anything about the Weiger situation? Look at Taiwan. You know, who's going to, right, look at Venezuela, look at Cuba. We have no leverage now um, internationally to do anything on those fronts um, because of, of this, you know, because we're going to be held to to this standard. We're going to be held, and this is going to be a reflection of, of, our, of our leadership for many years. It takes generations for us to rebuild a foreign policy sure. that works. And every American president, besides, honestly, Papa Bush, was the last time we had a president that actually knew something about foreign policy. Yeah. And we continue to fall on the same sword every single cycle that we elect a president that has no idea what he's talking yeah, well, about. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean again, after Vietnam, I mean, it really... Um, it really wasn't until Reagan, you know, came into office, you know, that we had to do something about what was happening in Russia, and and he was willing to do it. And you know, it was kind of, you know, if we didn't do it, nobody would, you know. And and but, I mean, think about that gap, really, you know, that that took place, you know, between those two uh, administrations, mm -hmm. for us to have any kind of international foreign policy um, credibility. And isn't isn't it crazy that under the Trump administration, we had literally there was a moment where Bahrain. Oh. Oh my and you had literally like the Middle East. You had Middle East and you know Israel, Israel. and all yeah. those flags waving and side. Right, to you side. had unity. You literally had Jared Kushner, who's a real estate mogul, handle policy better than this current administration with Secretary yeah. Blinken. You had people literally like Donald well, Trump and Ronald Reagan who were outside the box. Yeah. Well, because they didn't worry about the political fallout Correct. from that. You know, same reason that they were able to move the embassy to Jerusalem. Correct. They were not concerned over the political fallout of the decisions. It was about doing the right thing and reaching the goal right. and, and accomplishing what you set out to accomplish. And I know, you know we don't negotiate with terrorists. So. We understand that. But you know what's really awesome? President Trump, under his administration, his leadership, was one of the few presidents that actually had a sit-down with the Taliban. And they were right. actually working on a broker yeah. peace deal. Unfortunately, it stopped short at four years. If it had been another four, this would have been completely because, held differently. Because yeah. the Taliban knew yeah. that if they did not abide by the, the, the treaty, they would have got blown out of the air. Yeah. Where, again, you had the Taliban pushing through in the middle of June Going through going through capitals around the southern parts of Afghanistan. Yeah, but again, there was the no, there wasn't the political the, will or have, resources. No, Trump would have sent would have sent military back in if they were not following abiding by it. That's the reason why the whole Vietnam situation happened. The treaty was signed in what in '63, so we had a few years of a buffer before Saigon fell. Yeah, I know, but in, in Afghanistan, just, I don't just, think there was so there was the political yeah. will to to actually you know again double down. I think they called our bluff. And they, we and have a general right, right now. Biden, yes. We literally have a general right now who's more worried about critical race theory here right. than they are about geopolitical Correct. stability and climate in change. the Middle East. And right. climate change. Yeah. And so when you have values that the American people are not used to that are being pushed on us, and you have things where you're talking about gender equality over there versus right. systemic racism here, which is something that's also important, but this is a military you got to use force. What happened to those gentlemen and the lovely young ladies out there who are our service members and leaders who are actually caring about what the Department of Defense is supposed to do mm -hmm. versus 
ultimately a topic mm -hmm. for All right. Well, we ended up getting back into the topic, but uh, <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and, and try to try to get out of this um, by uh, reminding you to uh, not only like, share, comment uh, this uh, episode, but also uh, make sure you subscribe to the audio version of our podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, as far as the audio version of our podcast, you can pick that up at the Tech Overlords at Google, Apple, Spotify, Audible, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. Uh, so you can take it with you wherever you may want to go, even if it is Afghanistan. Um, let's go ahead into our next topic and kind of bring it back to the homeland as we start to say our farewell to uh, Andrew W. Cuomo. I don't even know what it's been like. <laughs> um, but, you know, for such a powerful family, I mean, is there is 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 there been any other in recent memory that I can't think of somebody of, of, of a family of such stature that has had a bigger crash and burn right now than the Cuomo's. The man married into the Kennedy family, the dynasty. Like I, didn't I was, know that. yeah, he married mm. um, the sister of the, the late Kennedy that died in air, that died in an airplane crash. And so um, it's, it's fascinating to see how this has occurred. I know we talked about this last week, that we didn't think he was going to resign. I was the only one that said that he would resign. Yeah. So I'm just going to throw that out there as a, as a quasi- I thought the whole process- I went, didn't think he was going to resign. I, I, I knew he was going to so. resign. I thought it was going to take a little longer, but, but yeah, I didn't think it was going to be so quick. As soon as, you, as soon as I realized that it's actually happened before, that governors in New York have resigned and have been, have been sent to jail, it's a really likelihood that it was going to happen. And Albany- is like a cesspool. I mean, it's it's really like Rome before uh, before Caesar got stabbed. I mean, that's the kind of like cesspool that Albany is has a reputation for. So I was I I wasn't expecting him to last as long as people thought he was going to, and then that he might still get he might still get tried and go to prison and still kicked out because people keep on forgetting that he has about I think two to three million dollars sitting in a in a pack that he can always run again. So sure. for people that really want to make sure that he's done and gone they're going to they're going to file articles of impeachment and they should file for articles of impeachment and the All assembly right, so did the New York State Assembly was yes. really pushing that so if you really look at impeachment as a goal and I hope our viewership understands impeachment it's a yeah. two part process mm -hmm. you know it's like a trial of sorts and cuz yeah they impeachment's they, one part they still so, might go through with it yeah. they should go through it and and so quick poll you know does he does he actually face trial and see it through, or do you think he settles and and gets away with it? Civilly, he'll go to trial. Politically, he will not. Him resigning, I think, saved him political political um, endangerment. Yeah. But I think he's pissed off those women so much that they're gonna file that they've already started filing lawsuits. Well, because the one thing that New Yorkers, you know, and certainly the New York media, which is the majority of you know, again, yeah. what we call our mainstream media. Um, has always kind of defended him, right? Mm -hmm. They tried to defend him with COVID and talked about what a great leader he was, right? Obviously, that was a farce. He became you know, a killed sex thousands symbol. of people, right? Um, had a book deal that failed, you know, you know, just brilliantly failed. But cash um, that check, you know. Oh yeah, I think it was a five million dollar uh, bonus mm -hmm. uh, or signing deal for that book. That I mean, I think barely sold uh, hundred thousand copies, um, and and then you know. They were trying to say, oh, well, he was great on infrastructure. You know, well, conveniently, he happened to change the Tepansi Bridge 
name to his dad's name. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to talk about and, corruption. You know, think you know, about it's, corruption. Yeah. It's all about and, and corruption. So, well, that was my point, essentially, that on every front, you know, his administration was a complete failure. And, but and, he, because and the, of the appearance. Media, the media right. will always back him. The you know well, the perception was the complete opposite. Yeah, and the yeah. harassment is horrible. I mean, we all agree on that. But yeah. you know what's even also is worse? You know, it's it's the fact that the nursing homes that he was involved in. That's not what people, brought him down. That's, yeah, but not, that's not what brought him down. Right. It was the, the harassment. Because the, the whole death of New Yorker, yeah, the death no. of New Yorkers is not what brought him down. Right. It was the it was the. You get with killing thousands yeah. and thousands of people in New York, but as soon as you do something which is still equally wrong, you yeah. shouldn't be touching women in that way. But it's so sad that it took that thing for the American people to realize that the media could, and the media always protects could, yeah. Democrats. Let's be honest about yes. this. Mm -hmm. And if this had happened, let's say Don, you know, Trump Jr., you know, whatever, that would have been a whole. Story. You keep on hearing, well, Trump has touched the Justice Man, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, he never had any allegations while he was in office. This is the, this is the difference. You, yeah. as a private citizen, dating everything else, is your thing. Yeah. You being a civil servant, being paid by the U.S. government as a, as a, as a elected official, taking that power and abusing it by harassing, groping, touching, kissing, I, whatever he did. I mean, what, what ended my situation with Cuomo was the news conference where he was wearing a white polo and you can see the nipple rings. That's when it went <laughs> way too far. And last year, this around this time last year, they were calling, they were saying he was a, people were Cuomo-sexuals. That was, right. if you hashtag Cuomo-sexual, one, I'll judge you, and two, you will see the plethora of the media that absolutely loved Cuomo, yeah. um, Trevor Nor Norum, Nor well because Noah, well because said his, he changed his Twitter handle or his Tinder, saying that he was a Cuomo sexual. But do you That's guys how realize, ridiculous you realize it Cuomo's got. Cuomo's brother, the younger one, Andrew Cuomo, yeah, right. The younger brother. Sure. He literally the went CNN anchor. Oh. CNN anchor. Yeah. Completely got well, yeah. And no one talked about it. Well, and again, but we let's talk about like <laughs> Governor DeSantis is the bad guy, right? Well, we oh, talked about, gosh. well, last what? week we talked about Obama's birthday, right? Now, of what? course, now. Oh, let's we're, talk about that. We're let's hearing. And that actually you know, was a super spreading That was a super right. spreading event. What, 56 yeah. something people? Yeah. Right. They're saying now. More people there than Lollapalooza got COVID out of it. Lollapalooza, thousands and thousands of people. But even there, they didn't, there wasn't, it wasn't considered. Super sweater, but in Martha's Vineyard it was. It's a bunch of white people. They have really bad health. Well, my point and being was has, that, you know, that Caucasians. I'm just saying that it's just that it just depends on the the, the type of uh, you know responsibility. It's personal responsibility. Oh yeah. Well, because and, again, know, it's the elitism, right? That they think that they're above and better than everybody. Um, and and to that point, you know, Chris Cuomo apparently celebrating his birthday was seen maskless, almost mm -hmm. shirtless, you know, at a nightclub, <laughs> you know, dancing the night away. You know, and so again, it's like he'll go on TV and lecture everybody about, you know, wearing their mask and and the vaccines and all this stuff. And meanwhile, they're partying it up, living it up, because again, the rule it's they think even, the rules don't, about, don't do what apply I say, to them. You know, it's not, not what it's I not do. About, it's not about religion, it's not about race, it's not about any of that. It's just about people who are in those global elite groups and mm -hmm. circles. Yeah. And when you're around these people, I mean a lot of lawyers are probably watching this, I hope they see it too, because once you get to a certain level, the rules don't apply to you apparently. And I think that's not Cool. I just think it's not equitable. I, I yeah. think that as a society, rules for one person, no matter how much money you have, no matter what race you're a part of, no matter what religion you are, no matter where you are in your social status or what you do, rules should apply equally, yeah. unequivocally, equally. 
However, why is it that when you saw the Texas legislature Democrats, without their masks, they can go on there and have their beverages and yeah. have their private jets and have no masks, and yeah. they get away sure with it, they're all smirking and smiling, and meanwhile, people like us, <laughs> us regular hardworking folk, people in our viewership who every day go into work, nine to five, work their tails off, People like my parents, your parents, yeah. our family members, our friends. Well, Carmen paid them why a visit is, Why too is because one thing here like this right. for one group of people, but then you have the Nancy Pelosi's who can walk in and get her wig done or whatever, and she's all cool about it. Yeah. So it's never about race, religion, creed. It's about people in power who abuse the power. You saw in Afghanistan, I know I'm going to bring that back up, back to, <laughs> back to America. No matter where you go in the world, people yeah. who have power tend to abuse it. And it's all about our leadership. What kind of example are these people setting for most Americans? And I think that's why Americans are waking up, and that's why the midterms are coming. Oh, I think you're going to yeah. see a big sway of Americans who are realizing, hey, inflation, gas prices, corruption, how we handle foreign policy, our taxes are going up, mm -hmm. businesses are struggling, businesses are moving out. I mean, it's all intertwined. And, you know, I have a lot of friends out there watching who are Democrats and who are liberals, and I respect them. I respect their opinion. As, a, as, an, as an American, you have your right to that. Right. But look at the implications of your decisions when you vote in people in yeah. power who are ultimately going to shaft you because of their power. But people get ups people get upset because they look at the governor of New York of California. His kids aren't going to private school. His kids Newsom's are going doing. to private Newsom, school. Yeah. His yeah. kids are, are there are no masks there. They've been educated this whole time. Right. They weren't stuck behind a computer screen because everyone they they Let's talk about guns, right? People Not even are the same this. thing with guns. Uh, the, the same people yeah. saying that guns are bad. It's like, what? Why? Would you rather be caught in a situation where you can't protect yourself because of our Second, Remem uh, Second right. Amendment? Like, the Heller case literally tells you that, yeah. like in D.C. versus Heller. But when you look at it down to actual people, like California, Newsom himself, since his kids to private schools, there was actual videos of him actually being out there, and he was literally sitting in a restaurant maskless. Yeah. Now, I know in a restaurant you got to eat. You can't eat with a mask on. But here's the thing. Why is one set of rules for one group of people, but another set of rules for the mass populace of the American people, another set of rules? Because, right. you are, Not because right. you're living in a world that believes that COVID doesn't occur when you're sitting down and eating, but does occur when you're standing up more than four feet. That is the hypocrisy of this whole situation. It's is that over here, COVID exists. But because we're sitting, COVID doesn't exist over here. And if I have a plastic sheet that doesn't go to the... I mean, again, this is ridiculous. And to think that, okay, those that... Are, and I don't want to go there, but with the masks. Do you honestly believe that you're uh, you're wearing your mask and gloves appropriately? That is ridiculous. Well, again, If you were in a normal health situation, you'd go through maybe 50 masks cloth, a day. Look, the, 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 the science is plain and simple. The cloth masks don't work. The only mask that truly do anything are the N95 masks, which 99% of the people out there are not using. Correct. Um, and, you know, and I bring it back to a friend of mine who works at Hard Rock Stadium down in Miami. They had a, almost a, a nearly sold out concert. We're talking about 70,000 people yeah. at Hard Rock Stadium, mm -hmm. and he thinks that he's being uh, safe because he's socially distanced and wearing masks in a stadium with 70,000 people. Now, here's the first time I will disagree with both of you, and I will say that because it's from a moderate perspective. Perspective. I do not believe masks will completely remove all, you know, viruses and all of that. I get it. Because you can touch a door handle. You can put, you know, you, yeah. someone sees yeah. it goes in your eye. 
But I do think masks do work to an extent. I think people should get vaccinated. No one's no but one here. It's our individual choice. No one here sure. is what I denying what I you getting vaccinated. No so, one here is saying yeah. that. But I think with the stigma that we have with the masks, I think we need to do a better job working with our public health agencies yes. like the CDC, the FDA. My master's degree was in pharmaceutical policy, mm -hmm. pharmaceutical outcomes policy. I, I understand it explains the regulatory a lot. Explains. explains a lot. I know. I know. And I know. Now I'm one of those guys, right? No, but all jokes aside, but it's actually one of those things where Oh, no, you know, the if you sound look at PPE off. and you look at kind of what goes on, it does work to an extent. But is it going to work with a hundred percent efficacy rate? Probably not. But then you understand. But, but you. But you understand this more than anything else. Then that in normal day-to-day -day operations, when it comes to the hospitals, the amount of times that you're putting on and off gloves, PPE, mask occurs every time you walk into a new environment where that's that. not occurring in the normal day-to-day. -day. So like, again, I have, and the wife, we have a whole bag of masks and we wear it once and we take it off and we put it in the bag to wash later on because you're not supposed to wear the same mask every single day. People right. forget that. Yeah. Again. And that's how people get sick. And that's how people <laughs> get sick. Yeah. And so the There's best- on that right oh, yeah. now. The best analogy that, right. so, that my mother gave me was like, look, you wearing a mask thinking it's going to stop that from occurring is like you putting uh, putting the hose on through a chain link fence and water and thinking water is not going to get through. Water is still going to get through a chain link fence. And that's exactly what the analogy that you're using. Well, again, there's a, you know, and again, capitalism, you got to love it, right? You know, what did all these companies start doing? They started producing all kinds of oh, masks. Yeah. Some cloth masks and, and of course your medical masks and all that sort of thing. But again, the only mass that truly uh, is going to uh, help you in 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 preventing from catching anything is going to be the N95 mask. And the oh, we can go in the mask debate, but here's you know, the thing. At the other day, I, think, right. I mean, that's a whole other conversation yeah, we for do another need day. To get We're here to attack Cuomo. No. That's right. <laughs> the man should go to so. jail for being Italian, because that was the excuse that he gave. Right. The reason why he's handsy and the reason why he's sexually harassed all these people is because Cuomo has become an Italian stereotype. He's not perverted. He's, he's Italian. He's not perverted. He's Italian. What's, what's the derogatory comment? Uh, for I just, you're here, your family. You know, but <laughs> I just think that, you know, I, I don't want to make, wrote his I don't want to make, I don't want to make a joke out of the, what a serious issue. Like, cause there's a lot of women on our viewership probably watching that they've probably been harassed every day. And I understand that cause you know, I have a little sister. I got, you know, people in my life that are young women that, you know, are good people. And you never want that precedent to be laid, especially from a political leader who runs one of the largest states in the mm -hmm. union. That is a horrible precedent. And so I don't think it's not even about pointing fingers anymore. I think it's the Democratic Party has literally been so big on Me Too. Yet when it's one of their own doing it, why is there a different standard? Sure. Well, so. you read the, it's not about the but cars. you read the report that individuals, like with BLM. yeah, but that individuals that work for hashtag Me Too, hashtag Human Rights, were were um, giving advice to the governor right. of how well, to get around it. And so these are the problems that we have. That these organizations that say that they are all about women's suffrage and everything else right. are lying to us because they know that Americans aren't going to really. They're just. I, mean, I have suffering. friends who wear like masks and they wear they're like a uh, like a shield, you know, like on top of it. I mean, they're, 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 they're just, just better, arms of the. Democratic Party. They're complete arms and shield of the Democratic Army. I mean, our audience today, ha I mean, we're being responsible. Our audience at the yard sign has masks and has face shields. We do Mostly because they're ugly, but... Well, yeah, we don't want to see their facial response. And they usually wear, like, a hat, like, behind, you know... They I mean, we are definitely fitting the motif <laughs> of kidding. a Floridian. 
All right. Thank so, so Cuomo is gonna. So Cuomo basically gave himself a two-week notice for resignation, which well, I, I really was hope hilarious. the woman though. I think it's about the woman at the end of the day. I really it hope is, the woman get their justice. About the wo- well, so that's why this will be civil. It like won't be government. It'll be civil. Well, and look, I mean, New York gets to save face because it just so happens the lieutenant governor is a woman, right? Um, so, so we it's shouldn't gonna, take away from the fact that just because she's a woman. that issue. Yeah. No, no, no. But again, it kind of allows that issue to kind of go away for a little bit, or at least I think we. We should have our Congress, and I think we should have our state legislatures do a better job at mandating leadership who are governors or who are in the highest levels of power to ultimately create laws and promulgate strategies that ultimately protect these young women, these interns. Because at the end of the day, if you don't have that and you have the leaders you look up to, those same ones breaking the laws, then who are we as a nation? But But the only way that works is if you actually prosecute those individuals. I agree. But instead, what did D.C. do? D.C. had a slush fund, you know, Mm -hmm. to settle uh, sexual harassment lawsuits. They wrote that into a bill. Yeah. Yeah. That's All right. how convenient. That's how corruption. convenient. <laughs> All right. They throw one Democrat on the bus. Who's that guy? Mr. Uh, Franken? Al Franken? Yeah, Al Franken. Oh, they'll, he's... Throw, they'll throw one guy under the bus every now and then just right. to beat the status quo. But at the end of the day, it's and not attacking the systemic issue of harassment with people in power who are in Democratic leadership that continue to abuse. And, yeah. he, and he still kicks himself the fact that he was the sacrificial lamb. Literally a sacrificial lamb. Sure, because by comparison now of all the other good things that have come out since then, you know, I mean, he was tame in comparison to all the other things. Oh, yeah. You I'm know, telling you, the nipple rings, that's what broke it for me. You know, I had a great guy. His name is Joe Wicker. He said one thing. He said, do act to, like, you know, that quote that, you know, he's a, he's a church-going Bible. guy. Yeah, and he said this one thing. He's like, do unto others as you would want to be done unto you, right, right. kind of thing. And, you know, one thing Joe said to me one time, and he's, he's here. Look, his sign's right here, Joe Wicker, my, the man, the myth, the legend. <laughs> but what I will say is this, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> You gotta treat people how you want to be treated. Yeah, no sure. matter if you're a man or a woman, you treat people with respect. Because there's a lot of things going on in the Catholic Church. There's a lot of things going on in all these different, you know, things. But you gotta be a good person. Yeah. And especially when you're a leadership, and you're in a position of power, you cannot abuse it because it goes against the fundamental values of who we are as a country. Again, we, but we've seen it multiple times when it comes to the echelon of our government that these people think that they're more powerful and can't be touched. From the president of the United States, Bill Clinton, to others, individuals that were running the government at, that, at those times, they really think that they could they were untouchable and that, that the American public would allow them to continue to lie and lie and lie. And you know what? I, our, our comment section is doing pretty good right now. I mean, I only saw one comment about a nuclear bomb over Afghanistan. So I, I I think we're doing. I think we're doing good there. Well, I'm that is not the way. <laughs> not the way. Folks. That's why I'm like it was only one. It was not, only one. Not the way. All right. No. So uh, I, I wasn't being rude. I promise. I was actually looking for um, the the picture that goes along with our next topic. Thank you again to everybody for watching the Yard Sign, the most important irrelevant podcast in politics. Uh, your host is always Johnny Torres. Joining me today, Hardim Tripathi and Anibal David Cabrera. Uh, Trip for short. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we're having a lot of fun here. And a little too much fun because uh, we're already uh, past the clock. But we're going to go ahead and uh, get to our final topic of the night, which is uh, the DHS putting out potential terror threats um, and what exactly one should be looking for uh, in, uh, to deem someone a potential terror threat. And, and so, uh, you know, you might want to take a, a, an introverted look uh, and, uh, and see if these apply to you. So one is opposition to COVID measures. Uh, number two would be claims of election fl- uh, election fraud, or the belief and or the belief that Trump can be reinstated, um, and the belief or support of 9/11 anniversary and religious holidays. So I mean, talk about painting a, 
a, a, broad, a, a broad stroke, broad. right? You know, I mean, maybe as broad as possible. I mean, we've known almost since day one that this administration was truly going to make the those of us that are on the right the enemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and for DHS to pretty much come to literally come out and say it, uh, I mean, it's pretty frightening. You know, because, again, and, and I think in a weaker government structure, I mean, this is essentially how you get end up in a, uh, in a, yeah, in a totalitarian state or in a dictatorship, uh, when you basically start to leverage the government against your own people, and that's that's exactly what this is. I mean, they're thinking, they're 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 doing all this in anticipation of the 20th anniversary of 9/11. You know what keeps people in power, gentlemen, viewership. You know what you know what keeps people in power? Fear. Fear. Right. He hit the nail on the head. And you know what? Midterm elections are coming up. Fear literally drives votes. The least educated people, and no offense to people who are least educated. Trump said this too. You know, he loves educated, uneducated, all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm just making a joke there. But all jokes aside, literally, fear, it drives votes. Mm -hmm. It drives policy. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the more educated people become and understand that they are just a proxy, the more that people understand that they actually have individual rights the more people understand that these are not the three top threats that we have from the Department of Homeland Security that's putting out. I work with the Department of Homeland Security a lot of the time. I'm an immigration attorney. We deal with ICE. We deal with USCIS. We deal with CBP. We deal with all these different agencies, right? Interpol, all these different agencies. At the end of the day, these are not our big terror threats. Our threats go back to our preliminary conversation. It's China. Right. It's it's literally narco-terrorists. It's people when you... When you solidify, when you have the Taliban literally going to Bagram Air Force Base and releasing Al-Qaeda, and now they join together through radical Islam, then you actually end up having very bad precedent being created from a global policy and global threat perspective. Now, we're talking about homeland. Right. I know a lot of our viewership may think that, you know, homeland security, you know, they're doing all their stuff. Let's talk about the weakening of our TSA. You know, I just read a great article a few days ago, and I talked. I was traveling recently, and I just talked to some TSA officers. I said, "What do you guys feel? You realize, you know, when you get when when things start to get okay, 20 years since we had like 9/11, right? And now we're in an era where a lot of military people served their lives, gave the most ultimate sacrifice. Once we go too lax, guess what happens? When you drop the ball, when you get too easy, you know, they had all these studies out. The DHS did studies. You know what I think the biggest threats are? I respect these uh, potential threats. I get it. We, and we have a great FBI, I think. We have a great ICE. We have a great bunch of different departments that do monitor our homeland security. Mm-hmm. However, I think the laxness of kind of where we are heading as a nation because of who we are and how we have literally taken a president and a leadership from a political and geopolitical perspective, you're seeing people putting plastic guns and getting in through... TSA security. They don't have to I be think plastic. our bi- yeah, I think our biggest threat from a geopolitical perspective from a country point of view is yeah. China, but from a domestic point of view is our domestic security. Our national security, our safety and security of the American people through interstate commerce and travel are going to be our downfall if we do not keep these terrorists in check. So I respect these three issues. How, but what I want to talk about is TSA and how we're failing in airport security. How we're well, letting TSA people has been maritime. a failure yeah. from day one. But, but up but, to eighty percent. Yes. Up yeah. to eighty percent of drugs, weapons, and explosives I want to talk about the are border. not detected. And I'm an immigration attorney, so I will be a little more. You know, I think there's a lot of good people here in, in this country that really sure. want to uh, come into our country and provide value. But I also think that we are a nation of laws as well. And 
you know, at the end of the day, uh, we do have the INA, the Immigration Nationality Act. Look at our border. No uh, one wants. And then we can no, also talk about yeah, illicit drugs. Yeah, no gangs. one's arguing. No one's about? arguing legal right. immigration. No one is arguing legal immigration. It's when you have two hundred and fifty thousand illegals crossing the border in one month. It, that's yeah. where it becomes a problem because well, it trickles down throughout the rest of the country. And the tens of thousands of, of underage kids that are that are still being held in various facilities, you know, because they oh, were but, sent over here Yeah, but Democrats by care about children in cages. Yeah, until the election came, and now yeah. they don't care. Now it's, the, the problem just magically But fear drives votes, right? So yeah. at the end of the day, why is it that we allow, we're so happy, you know, like, at least the Democrats are so happy when people from countries who tend to vote Democrat come in, but when the Cubanos come in, or people who have conservative mm -hmm. values come in, let's talk about that as well. I, I just think that there's an issue with global security, but there's also an issue with homeland security. Yeah. And I see the potential terror threats, but when yeah. we say terror, yeah. we're not talking about Boko Haram here. We're not talking about, you know, what's going on with the Uyghur population. We're not talking about what's going on in Venezuela with Maduro. You know, what we're talking about is people here in the United States. Right. And I know our viewership, some of the Democrats that I know, they're going to be like, oh, white supremacy. They're going to talk about guns and all this stuff. That's also an issue. I'm not discounting that. Yeah, but this is you coming know? from a panel but, but of but especially brown people. Along, along yeah, and we're all, along, well, we're people we're of color. Right. I get it. But here's the thing. When you when you see people who come from one country to another and you see being in there, I, I used to intern with the DEA, mm -hmm. right? My thing was, look, drugs. Fentanyl. Look at the opioid crisis. That's a domestic threat. I think that's a bigger threat. I think more people with the illicit transfer of drugs coming to our country, and I can talk about it because I worked with these agencies. I do have that master's in policy from pharma. I get it. But that education is one thing. But the practical experience, walk into your neighborhood, right. watch those people who are on drugs. Addiction is a big thing. It's a big thing. And, and, and I think that's a domestic terror threat because when people yeah. are on drugs, when people are very desperate, mm -hmm. they tend to do bad things out of, uh, it's kind of like cornering a, a stray dog. They're going to bite. Right. And I think we're getting there. And it's not opposition to COVID measures, I think, is the biggest threat. Yeah. I think it's actual illicit drugs coming to our country. I think it's people who are literally through TSA checkpoints and all the horrible things that are going to happen through checkpoints that come into our country. And then young kids, young children will get their hands on. This well, is a new day and age. Well, but back you know. to your point, you know, these measures are basically, it's, I think it's, it's, it's a warning shot, right? To those of us but we who cannot afford don't to have support a this. Shot. No, I know, but to those of us who don't support this administration, um, for those of us who, again, um, are skeptical. And, I really and, wanted to support you know, this administration as an American, but you know right. what? They've continually, time and time again, failed. I'm all about bipartisanship. I'm all about working together as Americans. But you know what really is so messed up? When the same people that the American people voted in, either whatever people believe, either through a fraud election or a basic election. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, when you have poor, piss-poor leadership, then yes, it's a cause for concern. Yes. And that affects Americans, and either more, on a global scale yeah. or a domestic and scale. And more and more America, this is, feeds into the craziness of some people. Look, look, the DS, the DHA is tr is going after your people. Right. They're going after people of re that attend religious holidays. Right. That's 80% of the it country. It could be everybody. That could be anyone. Yeah. That's every... I that's, think it's closer to 90%. every 85-year-old dama that's going to church on a, yeah. on a daily basis. Well, but again, basically. you know, but that goes everything from, again, from Christmas, uh, to to Eden Mubarak, you know, like, uh, you know, to... Yeah. I, will well, say, I, I wouldn't even go that broad. I would say let's look at our Constitution. At the end of the day, our Constitution allows us values. Like, I, I there's this place called Hillsdale College. They do a really oh, great... Them. Hillsdale is great. I, I've been l lately listening to all their... Uh, you know, videos stuff. and all the constitutional, and you really realize it's not about one religion or one race. It's more about people and understanding your Constitution. When the government abuses, especially with leadership like Biden, when you have Pelosi's 
I think Pelosi's more dangerous than Biden, in my opinion. Right. But when you have the Pelosi's of the world dismantling our Constitution one day at a time, that is a cause for concern for the American people. Yeah. And I think it's up to us to vote in leadership that is going to literally, like Kevin McCarthy, he should be the majority leader. Yeah. We're never going to get Unfortunately, we're, we're never going to get Pelosi kicked out of her position right. when it comes to San Francisco. There she's always going to yeah. get elected. AOC. Oh, that's why I always laugh gonna, when they challenge yeah. Mitch McConnell. Too. Yeah, they're oh, it's always going to get elected. Mitch, and Mitch McConnell's also a little bit uh, a little wary. What are you I talking about? Say, Cocaine Mitch is by far one of the best. <laughs> he's he's savvy <laughs> I'm gonna end it. I'm going to end it right. He's a savvy politician. I'll give him He that. knows exactly what he's doing when it comes to the Senate and what's happening right. with the infrastructure Thank God for him because of the courts. But I will say this. I'm saying that you're uh, that you're a potential uh, terrorist threat if you oppose COVID measures. I oppose COVID measures, sure. and yet I still got tested today. I mean, that's what normally happens. If there's a problem, you get tested. And if I want to choose to wear a mask, I'll wear a mask. If I want to get your serial number, um, they didn't give. I actually did get a Not number, yet. a reference number. I'm waiting for the the barcode or your yellow button from the mayor. I want someone to ask for my papers. Honestly, if really? she can make okay. a reference now, papers for anybody who. Then we'll do for it. anybody who we'll, doesn't, we'll go there. for anybody who doesn't live here in Tampa, okay, our mayor <laughs> actually had the audacity oh, the to yellow wear buttons. a yellow button that says "vaxxed." What is that? I didn't. Okay, know that. Um, it's basically just a little button. It's a yellow yellow button that it's says "vaxxed." It's a yellow circle. If you okay, swear, it looks of like all the colors, <laughs> right? Of all the colors <laughs> in the world, <laughs> that's the problem. Uh, yeah, like could she have not picked a worse uh, color? To go it was the worst. Um, Warm. You know, it's. Um, I think these people mean well. I just think the way they go about doing it is just not. I, I think that it doesn't align with the values of the American. I think what is pretty crazy. But, but what is pretty crazy is that you know, and, and actually, uh, uh, Amandala actually makes a great point that Pelosi's just about ninety at this point. You know that we are going to see a large turnover in these kind of historical political figures that have been in office for most, if not all of our lives, you know, that we're going to get to witness the, uh, again, the, 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 the uh, I don't want to say. very careful with yeah. your words. No, but Basically like. Basically you're saying we need younger The retirement, let's say. We, no. we need younger we'll see, we'll, we'll see, I don't want we'll see Pelosi leadership. leave. We do. We'll see Pelosi leave no, The average Republican we'll in office is like 20, 10 or 15 years younger than the average Democrat Look, in office. At the end Democrats of the day, it's not even about the Republican order. or Democrat. I think as long as there's people in office that are not going to abuse oh, their power. Oh, my God. We, I know. But we wait, we to, get it. We believe in Jesus also. My point, okay. my so. point was is that we're going to see, we're going to see a huge, generational in, shift yes. because Mitch McConnell at some point will leave office Pelosi's going to at some point leave office we saw John Boehner leave office but it doesn't do us well if we get AOC yeah. coming in and people like AOC no, because of course we don't not. have people who don't understand education Mitch McConnell is going to live for another history. 100 years and <laughs> he'll be running the oh Senate. He has no desire to go anywhere from there. All right, let's Cocaine try to. the hell of a drug. Let's try to see if we can knock this out in 10 minutes. Uh, it's time for the last part of our show, which we uh, call One Last Thing. Are we doing As uh, our producer. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so it's one last thing. We covered a lot today. Uh, really quickly, we're just going to go through uh, one last thing that we didn't get to talk about today, one but we certainly want to put on your radar for you to go ahead and look up online. Uh, maybe uh, something that we may talk about next week uh, <laughs> as we hear the sighs and groans coming from uh, behind the cameras. What 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 did we miss today, Anibal? Behind the cabalabra. Uh, this week in uh, in COVID news, uh, the law 
large spike has, which we were all expecting, has occurred now that children are back in school in Hillsborough County alone. About four hundred. That's not four, school related. Four thousand students and about three hundred. It's not school related though. It's literally related the first week of kids and students have come back with COVID. I think come back with COVID. Yes, but it has nothing you, to do with sir, school. No, sir. May I? Because you're trying to connect dots that aren't there. As we continue to move forward in the COVID... Get, get me back on camera. As we continue to move forward in this COVID conversation, we all knew that there was going to be a spike as school started and kids started coming back the to classes. This is not because, because school started. Because they were all going to be back in there and they were going to use that as a way to ask for mandates in mass. You didn't even let me finish my thoughts, sir, because I was going to say they're using the numbers to try to get a mandate of masks. All right. Fair enough. However, as we've seen in last year's numbers, we see the spike and then we see a return to normality as the school year continues to move forward. So at the moment, <laughs> I see that there's going to be a form of additional school boards around the city, around the county and around the, the country going to try to put more severe measures because they're using the data that's occurring now to influence and dictate policies. But as we saw last year, when there was a spike when schools started, even though there wasn't really a correlation, we will have uh, about a month from now, we'll see the numbers go back down. All right. Now, uh, again, your first time on the show. Did a great job. We appreciate you being here. We're going to certainly have you back on again soon. What's uh, something that a uh, story you're following that uh, we didn't get to talk about today? Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you very much for having me here today. I mean, it's my first time on the show. Did not know how it would go, but this is awesome. Yeah, I mean, you we're killed just it. having a dialogue. No, yeah. it's great because I think our viewership, you know, they're, they're learning a lot. You know, I'm getting a chance to speak with them directly and also getting to talk to you about some real life issues that affect the American populace. Mm -hmm. uh, one big thing I would like to talk about next time that I don't think we address is the dangers of China and what is the impact of the Taliban and world affairs and what's going on across the world. How does it affect our so our security, basically, our national security? Yeah. How does it affect your food on the table? How does it affect your children? How does it affect your way of life? Mm. I think that's something I think more Americans are going to start realizing as this Biden administration continues to go forth with what they're doing. I think around year three of the Biden administration, uh, I think people are going to really see the impacts. And you reap what you sow, America. And so one big thing is I think people are going to see, and you're always going to have those Democrats who are going to stick by their man, which I respect that. I love loyalty. But at the end of the day, when it affects your children, when it affects your way of life, and it affects the American Constitution, and it affects what the fabric of our culture is built upon, if people really study and understand their U.S. history and global policy, I think they're going to realize that this administration and this country is heading into a direction where if we do not, I repeat, if we do not catch it now, mm -hmm. and every day that goes by, every second that goes by, we're in for a lot of hell, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. I, I promise you that, because here's what's going to happen. The America that I was raised here as an immigrant that I grew up here in mm -hmm. is not the same America now in my 30s as it was when I was, you know, the, the fundamental values of working hard for a living, doing well. You know, making sure you take care of each other. I think we've become a society that alienates each other, that we've become so divisive when yeah. we should work together. And I think what I would like to hear from the yard, you know, from y'all, is for the next presentation that we do, is how can we get more people, constituents, to reach out to their congressional members? How can we get more advocacy where we go back to that America that we wore back in 1776 and yeah. onwards, 1787 even? 
let's go back to those days where we actually. Well, those folks hated each other too. Yeah, but they did. But they they at least did it. But they at least did it with some class. I think I could vote. I'm a landowner, so I would still be able to vote. But I'm brown, so I don't know. No, you wouldn't be able to vote. Okay. Well, we'd be. We came a long way, but we got a long way to go. We are an ever-growing. But like I said, it's not about you know being brown, black, green, purple. What I really think is, I think we've lost our way as America, and I think we have a lot more to learn from these from history. And if we continue to follow history and not learn from it, it's going to repeat again. And our children are going to be the ones who are going to suffer eventually. And oh, yeah. I, think, I, think, I think ultimately at the end of the day, we got to really take a hard look, an intrinsic look at ourselves as a nation and as a people and realize, have we lost our way as America or is there a better way forward? And if so, how do we get there? And the answer to that, be more politically active. Be more sure. engaging. Continue to learn. Yes. Read. Talk to people who are not like you. Continue to learn and be one America. Well, and I want to I, I want to add on to yeah. this by saying that not and, and not just doing it only in a partisan way, right? Because no. I love you know all my activists out there that go out and do voter registration, work on campaigns, volunteer for campaigns. Get involved. Right? Those guys are all amazing. But it's when you kind of take that next level. Right, and you start to get involved in what's happening at the county level, at the city yes, level, you know, and you start to have more kind of uh, um, kind Impact. of one-on-one -on -one time with people, you know, that don't agree with you. I think that's when you also it really changes your perspective on politics. It doesn't become personal in the sense that it's us versus them, yeah. you know, because you realize that again, like you were, you've say, been saying all show, we have Democrat friends and family members. Right. And they're not the enemy. They're not the enemy. I think, and you know, we all make jokes and it's all out of fun and all that, but I really think if we talk to these people, why are they that way? Why do they think the way? That doesn't make sure. us better than them. What all I'm saying is we need to work together as Americans. Yes, we may always, you know, not always agree, mm -hmm. but we may disagree on certain policy issues. Right. But how do we meet halfway? And I know in a polarizing environment that we are in now, I think it's very important that we work together, especially because as we see the rise of the Taliban, we see the rise of China, we cannot let partisan politics or people be split. We are Americans first. Right. And at the end of the day, as long as we're Americans first, we need to stick together because at the end of the day, I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. I care about you being an American because at the end of the day, the CCP, they don't care if we're Democrat or Republican. They care that they want to take over yeah. one country at a time. Right. And if you look at the long-term spectrum of things, this is the era, this is the time where we can actually cause systemic change in this great union. I think what a lot of people are forgetting, and this is the reason why I love the yard signs and I always support organizations like what, what we are doing here, is that we are not... Everyone is, the reason why people think it's so crazy right now is because you only have the far left and the far right yelling at each other. And no one is listening to each other. Where you have moderates that think that it's okay to have, why am I getting chastised because I have a Democrat friend? Yeah. That, that blew my mind when as someone that's running for office right now questioned why I had a Democratic friend. And I was like, are you, are you serious? No. You don't know any Democrats? You, I'll tell you right now, people that go to her church are Democrats. And, and that's, that's not what and, church teaches and that's, and that's the problem yeah. that a lot of people sure. have. And this is yeah. the reason why we need to keep on talking. This is the reason why people like us need to be talking, need to be out in the ether. Well, All these individuals that are in the comment section. And this you is where I'll bring the moderates back. to be able to talk. Because again, I might not agree with the Democrat, but I know that Democrats trying to do the same thing I want to do is get rid of homelessness. 
get right. more affordable housing. We might disagree on how the path to get there, right. but we all want a better union. We all want a better country. We want to leave our children with better things, have less debt. Everyone agrees with that. Well, now, this the is path where to get to it is lower different. Lower prescription, infrastructure. That's not a big deal. Well, but the, again, my point being is, is that, um, well, now, and now I forgot what my point was. Thanks, Nebel. Yeah. Um, uh, but the, the simple fact is, is that don't let the rhetoric fool you, right? right? Because people become consumed by what they see on social media, what they see on on the news. When you see these soundbite interviews and that sort of thing, look, these guys in D.C. They're all hanging out together. They, they all are. go to dinner oh, yeah. together. They all. they all, you know, have lunch together. You know, same with Tallahassee. They're all friends. They go out drinking. They go out to dinners and and you know and and We're all so together. Well, and again, you know, the, there's a time and place for that debate to be had and those differences to be had. Um, but again, you know, where we're only getting the show, right? We get we get the the TV cameras, we get the radio interviews, we get the sound bites. We don't see that again behind the scenes. A lot of these people get along just fine, and they actually like each other, and they hang out, and they mutually respect each other. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Uh, for me, I'm going to make it quick, but it'll be the vaccine passports. Um, uh, it continues to be an issue around the world. Italy, France, and now Quebec uh, having major uprising, major protests uh, breaking out in uh, those countries in opposition to the vaccine passports. Uh, and, of course, various states, cities throughout the United States considering vaccine passports, even our federal government. Um, and uh, there's even a article about a restaurant in Anna Maria. Island, uh, which tiny island, right? But still uh, a great kind of micro example of a restaurant that is refusing to take uh, unvaccinated customers. Hey, that's their business. Kudos to them if that's the route that they want to go and they want to put their business on the line by taking that stance. Uh, it's going to see. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out or how they're even monitoring that because again, uh, I don't know if it falls within their legal means to to even ask people if they're vaccinated. Peppers. Um, that's right, um, but. I think it's only a matter of time before, whether it's a state government, local government, or a federal government, uh, truly puts this to the test here in the United States. I don't think it would hold up in a federal court of law, um, you know, but crazier things have happened. So keep an eye on the vaccine passports. And uh, shout out to all my friends and family in Canada um, who are finally standing up to the tyrannous uh, pretty boy up there, Trudeau. Trudeau. That's right. Uh, on that note, we want to appreciate you for watching. Thank Thank you for all the comments and shares. Um, everybody's been fantastic in the comment section today. Uh, certainly appreciate you for watching. Don't forget, uh, we'll have the audio version of this podcast up soon over at the Tech Overlords at Google, Apple, Spotify, Audible, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. Uh, on behalf of Anibal David Cabrera, Hardem Tripathi, uh, thank you so much again for joining us. This has been The Yard Sign, the most important and relevant podcast in politics. Good night, everybody. Thank you.